Pray with me if you would. And um, let's ask the Lord if he wouldn't teach us something that would help us to leave this place with a mandate to change the world. And I don't know about you, but I believe the world needs to be changed. And the only thing that can change it is the presence and the power and the spirit of Jesus moving amongst every individual, every generation that is alive today. I want to say this, that I grew up with a certain sense of disbelief that that could happen. I have changed my theology, I've changed my thinking. I believe that it can happen. I believe that Moose Jaw can see a move of God in, in every generation, but specifically the youngest generation that's alive today in a way that you and I have never witnessed before. Would that not be an exciting thing to be a part of? You're gonna lead that. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord Jesus, we are mindful of the fact that we are utterly dependent upon you. There is nothing that we are capable of doing outside of the grace and the mercy and the love and the power of Christ. And Lord, I am super mindful of the fact that this morning that simple words that come from simple guys like me can be taken by the power of the Holy Spirit and crafted in such a way that they can change a heart. So we ask that you do that in all of us, that your word would come alive in our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're gonna do a little bit of an exercise this morning. And yesterday at our breakfast, I, I asked a simple question that um, was quite entertaining to me to watch the response. The question was this to the guys, how many of you have ever been in a fight? Now that's not church stuff, I know that, but I asked the question, well, you couldn't believe the response. They're interacting, they're quiet, you know, talking, telling their story, lies, most of them, because most of them said they won the fights and those kinds of things. One thing I have to say is this, that those that said that their last fight was with their wife and that they won, we did have a time for them to come up and repent and admit that we know that that's not possible. But it was entertaining to, to see this interaction take place because my heart is, is to challenge men to step up and to be the men of God that God's called us to be. But this morning we're gonna talk about generations as a whole. So I wanna do a little exercise with you before we start. Um, if you're a parent of any aged child and you're able, could you stand? Come on, it's church, don't worry about it. Okay, that's good. Everybody else that's sitting, you look around and honor these people. Now, we'll do that in a second. Let's, uh, let's, if you are a grandparent, anybody less than a grandparent, <laughs> that sounds bad. Anybody who's not yet a grandparent, you sit. Okay, everybody else, if you're a grandparent or older, you sit. Awesome, awesome. How many are great-grandparents? If you're less than a great-grandparent, please sit. Oh, amazing. Now, Last question, is there anybody who is a great, great grandparent? 
Okay, well, that's all right. You know what is interesting to me about that? First of all, let's give everybody a round of applause for doing that. This is what's so intriguing to, this, to me about this, is that in your very community, there is this multi-level generational connection in the kingdom of God. This book that I have in my hand right here is one of my most treasured possessions. The book, as you can tell, is worn, and I have it upside down. It is worn. It's got all kinds of, I don't know if you can see this or not, but tape that is holding the pages together. Notes in here that are written in red ink, some in pencil, some in blue ink. Little pieces of paper with thoughts jotted down and, and added in. That's throughout the whole Bible. You can see that the, that the cover is basically deteriorated to nothing. Every indication of the book is that it is extremely well used. It is worn and tattered. It is an indication of somebody who has used it as a principal light in their life. My favorite part of the whole book is what's written at the front. It says Christmas, 1946, J.W. Ellerby, Throne, Alberta. This book is my grandfather's Bible. I was seven years old when my grandpa died. He was 73, he's a very interesting guy. He was a uh, farmer, primarily, that was his livelihood. But he was a self-appointed missionary to the uh, communities, of the, the uh, native Indians of northern Alberta. He had an old tent, and he would go up in the 40s and the 50s, and he would set up the tent, and he would preach the gospel, and he would pray for the sick, and he would take food and clothes. He, he wasn't... Um, part of an organization, even though on January 1st of 1938, he was ordained or at least licensed as a worker with the Apostolic Church of Pentecost because he wanted to preach the gospel. I value that connection like never before, but I wanna share another connection with you. The next picture on the slide, or on the, uh, this is my great-great-grandfather. He was born in 1748, and he would travel about England in the 17 and early 1800s. He was a circuit preacher. I understand that he traveled by horse. I have some letters and things that were passed on down to me. He was at the end of the Wesleyan revivals, and he would travel about and he would preach the gospel throughout the country of England. Times were very difficult. If you read any of the history, the, the riots and different things like that that were taking place because of the unrest politically and those different 
just the social challenges that were going on there, and there was disease and all kinds of things. But my great-great-grandfather, James Black at Ellerby, he would, he would travel about and he would preach the gospel. That's almost 270 years ago. I have a little uh, family tree um, image for you to, it gives a little bit, I don't know if you can read it very, it's a little bit washed, but if you follow the family tree, my great-grandfather was born January 20th, 1748, and, and he was a traveling preacher, an itinerant preacher. My grandfather was uh, born in 1894 and, and licensed in 1938 and, and was uh, a preacher and traveled about the country. My, gr- my grandfather had seven children, and of those seven children, there was 20 grandchildren. Uh, 12 of them attended Bible college, and seven of them were, have been or currently are in full-time ministry of some kind. Of the 20 grandchildren, they gave um, birth to 49 great-grandchildren, and at least 15 of them have attended Bible college and are serving in the ministry or married to somebody who's serving in the ministry today. What's the significance of that? I believe that God has designed the family in such a way that we are eternally connected to one another at every level. Now, Steve talked about, um, about brothers and sisters around the world that we don't even know inside of the body of Christ. But I believe that there is a connection to families biologically that are eternal in their nature. I don't know where they start and where they stop. All I know is that in 1748, my great-great-grandfather was born and became a preacher, and there have been a plethora of preachers down the family line ever since. I like what Genesis verse or chapter two and verse seven says. I'm just gonna set this off to the side here somewhere. I carry it around in a black or blue plastic bag because I don't want it to fall apart, but sometimes it gets tossed to the side and I don't want that to happen. Genesis chapter two and verse seven. It's, it's the story of the creation of Adam. And it says, and the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Sorry for the, the uh, transfer of my PowerPoint stuff to the machine here. It might be a little bit squiggled, but humanity based on this verse, became the image of God. We literally became the DNA of God. We have the very life of God in us. And somehow in the wisdom of his creative power, he has designed us in such a way that the connection from generation to generation is linked together. Let's go to the next slide. Every generation 
is linked to the previous one and to the following one. The second of the great of the Ten Commandments basically says this, that don't worship other gods, don't follow other gods, you only follow me. If you do follow the other, if you do follow other gods, you don't worship me, then the sin of the parents will be passed on to the children, to the third and the fourth generation. This is, this is a significant statement in the, in the scriptures. It says that the sin of the parents would be passed on to the third and the fourth generations. Too many times in, in my life over the years, I've had, especially guys, say to me, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been guilty of sin and, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that it's going to be passed on to my children, my grandchildren. I always say this, you need to lay that to rest. Are you, are, do you hate God and are, are you off worshiping other gods? Well, if you're not, then you need to, you need to believe that there is hope, not despair. Because the second part of this verse says something, please switch for me, says something very profound. Exodus chapter 20 is the the portion of scripture, but it says that the sin of the parents can can visit to the second and third generations, but it says, but showing love to a thousand generations who love me and keep my commandments. So what we're learning here is that there is a connection from generation to generation to generation to generation. If we have, if we have been guilty of hating God and, and following other gods, then we run the risk of passing on consequences to the third and the fourth generation. But if we will love God and we will walk with God and we will serve God, then we have the hope that a thousand generations will experience God's favor in their life. I I don't know about you, but I find that kind of exciting. When when my great-grandfather was traveling around England uh, riding on his horse, um, preaching the gospel and, and sharing things and wondering where he was going to eat next and, and, you know, where he was going to sleep and all those kinds of things. I'll bet you that he never gave one thought to me. He didn't think about 270 years later. I wonder if my great-great-grandchildren... He never thought about that. I, I'm convinced he never thought about it. But God sees the generations from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, for a thousand generations. And I believe that the term thousand generations does not necessarily mean that at the end of a thousand we start over. It simply means until Jesus returns. My hope is this, that no matter how long I live and no matter how long it takes before Jesus comes, the generations that will follow me will benefit in their experience with Christ because of my love for Jesus. 
Isn't that kind of a cool thought? I, I think that's a, an incredibly interesting thing. I don't know if you're following, but go to 2 Samuel if, you've, uh, if you are following in your Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is the story of David who had um, a word from the Lord. He was troubled that, his, that, the, that the ark was, did not have its own house, its own temple, and was talking about, you know, we well, need to do something about this. And, and uh, God spoke to the prophet and said, you need to go tell the king that um, I've got a promise for him, but he's not gonna be the one that builds me a house. And he goes on and he, and he talks about his own um, son, the one that was going to be, would, would build that temple or build that place for the ark. But this is the promise that he gave to David, that God gave to David. And, and it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ but I do believe that there's something significant here in a parallel thought. In verse 29, it says, and this is David responding to this word that he got from the prophet and he was, he was praying and talking to the Lord. He said, now be pleased to bless the house of your servant. David said this, God, you've been good to me and, and I know that, you know what, We've had our scrapes. You know the life of David, so there was some bumps in his journey. But he said, if it pleases you, Lord, bless my house. Do something in my lineage. Bless the house of your servant. That it may continue, how long? Forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant, he's talking about himself, will be blessed for how long? Forever. He said, God, if you could do anything for me, if, if you're happy with me as your servant and you're pleased with what has taken place in my life, would you bless my house forever. Great grandpa and great grandma, as you stood up, the greatest thing you can do is you can pray that the blessing of God would be on your house forever. Grandpa and grandma, that you would pray that the blessing of God would be on your house forever. Mom and dad, you would pray that the blessing of God would be on your house forever. Now, I have three grandkids, and I don't know if anybody can be more proud of their grandkids than I am of mine. And I love to tell this story, and I know it's probably getting old, so if you've heard it, my little guy, he's now five, but he was two at the time, and he's very analytical very much a deep thinker. It's amazing what you can see in their DNA right from when they're little, right? And his name's Nixon, and, and he is just a hilarious guy. And I said to him, I, we were standing on their back deck, and I said, uh, Nixie, that's a big tree. Why don't you go and climb that tree? 
he looked at the tree and I could just see him drawing images of this tree and the consequences of falling out of it. You just see it written all over his face. And he said, nah, I don't think so. Only daddies can climb those trees. I said, really? Yep. I said, well, how about Papa? He looked at the tree. He looked at me. Looked back at the tree and said, no, Papa's tummy's too fat to climb that tree. (laughs) We're just now starting to talk again, so it's, you know... I pray, this, this was a good one, I, I picked them up and I'll share a, a model for you in a second, but I picked them up and I, and I said, I had two of my three grandkids in my arms and I was gonna pray the blessing of God on their lives and, and I said, Nixie, I pray that you would know Jesus. And his head popped up instantly, he said, I already know Jesus. The blessing of God on the lives of the generations for how long? Forever. Those that will follow you will be influenced by the choices and the passion that you reflect in your relationship with God today. They will be impacted by that choice by you many, many years and many, many generations from today. Doug Sigelko was sharing me, with me yesterday how it's 100 years, right? 100 years from when his grandfather, great-grandfather, got saved and began to pass on that generation. 100 years. You see, we have been indoctrinated in our Western culture to be so confined in our concepts of what the generations are. We're so single generation thinkers. But in the kingdom of God, we have the joy and the privilege of understanding that God does not see in this confined sense. We see incomplete, he sees complete. And he sees 270 years from today those that will represent my family, who can come back and they say, you know what, I found this in, in, my, in my Grandpa Cal's archives, which would probably be a bread bag under the couch somewhere. But I found in his archives a picture of his great-great-grandfather, James Blackett Ellerby, who is a preacher. And who would have thought, here I am, you know, now maybe 500 years from James Blackett Ellerby, an Ellerby preacher, sharing the gospel, loving Christ, imparting blessing into his family because God has tied us together. That is such a significant truth. And I believe that what the Lord is saying to our society today and especially to the patriarchs and to the matriarchs, we have a responsibility to make sure that we invest the life that God has given to us into the lives of the next generation. In Psalm 71, 18, it's become one of my favorite verses. King David said this, and I, I have to say this about Steve. He graciously said something this morning about, 
you know, in this next season of Cal's life. You know what he was saying? Okay, he's getting old, now what's he gonna do? You know, I know that that's what he meant, but he was trying to be gracious. Psalm 71, 18 says this. King David crying out to the Lord and he said, Lord, even in my old age and my gray head, do not forsake me until I have declared your power to the next generation and your might to those that will come. God, don't forsake me. Don't take me out of the game. Don't minimize my influence. Don't allow my effectiveness to to be diminished. Until I die, God, do not let me drop the ball. Until I have proclaimed and declared your power to the next generation and your might to those that will come. I like what he says when he says the next generation. I believe that he's talking about the ones that are alive. But when he says that the, those that will come, he literally means there's some that aren't born yet. And my job in my old age, in my gray head, is to declare your power to them, God. Help them to see and to experience and to know your might. Help them to understand that God is passionate about them. Sitting inside this room, I literally believe that there is enough spiritual authority to change the course of our society. I I honestly believe that. Because I believe this, I believe that God has designed things to flow from one generation to the next. That we are missing something when the generation that precedes mine, my mother is uh, 84, tough as nails. Um, She is an amazing person. We're missing something if my mother does not pray the blessing of God into my life and into my family. My grandchildren are missing something when great grandma Allerby is not praying the blessing of God into their lives. They're being denied something. And that's what David said. He said, God, don't let me be guilty of that. I have a mandate, I have a responsibility, I have a job. And I need you, Lord Jesus, to impart that authority into my life. So I look at what David was saying, and I'll just very quickly say this. First of all, I believe that David had vision for the next generation. Grandpa and grandma, mom and dad, great grandpa and grandma, what is your vision for the next generation? What is your vision for the next generation? I say this about my little guy, Nixie. I'm believing that God will call him into the ministry at some point where he will proclaim the gospel with strength and power and authority. 
I read a book the other day. It's called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And one of the uh, statements or one of the chapters that he had spoken of in that book was that we in our culture, in our westernized culture, we have elevated the roles of secular positions and secular education to a level that has um, excluded a high degree of value placed on the ministry. And forgive me, I'm not against education and everything else, but what we have done is that we have subtly said, you need to go and get a good job so you can provide for your family And we've done that, and forgive me if I'm stepping on toes, but we have done that at the expense of saying, you know what, serving Christ in the kingdom as a pastor, as a missionary, there's great value in that, and that is the pinnacle of what it means to be a believer. I have this thing in my heart that I'd like to go to churches like yours and say to your pastor and to your leaders, bring me your young men and women. We're going to see what God's saying to them, what God's doing in their life as far as the call of God is concerned. If you're a young person here this morning, if God is touching your heart and prompting you to serve the Lord and to to be involved in missions, to be involved as a pastor, to go to Bible college, do whatever, do not suppress that call. The greatest thing that you can do in your life is to fulfill the purpose and the call of God in your life. I remember those missionaries used to come to church when I was a kid, and they'd say, you know what, do you want to go and be a missionary? I hated that. I thought, I don't want to go somewhere scary and far away. Now that I'm older, I realize that the call of God flows through the generations. And grandpa and grandma and mom and dad do not deny the youngest generation, the opportunity to experience and to hear that call in their lives. David had vision for that next generation. He took responsibility for it. He said, God, even in my old age and gray hair, don't forsake me. It's my responsibility. I have a job here to do. I need to declare your power to that generation. I need to declare your might to those that will come. So not only did David have a vision for what could happen, but he he had this sense of responsibility as an older leader, as a patriarch, as a matriarch. He said, it's my responsibility. The third thing is that there was this sense of dependency upon the Lord that, that said that God... I need you to do something in me. I need you. I'm at an age now, and I'm not very old, but I'm at an age now where I've really begun to understand, I think at a different level, the value and the importance of, of really allowing God to connect with me. Grandpa and grandma, mom and dad, What's your relationship like with the Lord? Not do you come to church, do you serve on a board, do you volunteer? Not that. What's your relationship like with Jesus? How close is that bond 
with Christ. Because see, out of that bond with Jesus will flow God's work and doings in the lives of the next generation like nothing else can. So not only did David have vision for the next generation, not only did he have a sense of responsibility for the next generation, but he understood that it was his connection to God that was going to bring life into that next generation. The fourth thing was that he wanted to leave a legacy. What is your legacy? This book is my grandpa's legacy. Now, I don't know how heaven and earth communicate with each other. I, I don't know that. But I do, if, if it's the way sort of I think, <clears throat> I think that it brings my grandfather pleasure to know that I have his book. This is his legacy. Was he a farmer? Absolutely. Do my older siblings who knew him better than me have great stories about him? Absolutely. I, I was seven years old when he died. I don't know a lot about him. But I'm the only one that has this. This is his legacy. What is your legacy to the next generation? Again, if you have your Bible, and, and I'm going to finish with this. Genesis chapter 48 is a story of Jacob and Joseph. How many of you know the story? You know it very well? You're in church. I know you're not supposed to put up your hand, but tell me if you know the story. Ah, good. I want you to get to know it a little bit better this morning. I want to finish with this study. If you don't know it, it's in Genesis 48. It's a story of Jacob and Joseph and Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob was an old man. He was within hours, days at the most of dying. He literally was on his deathbed, the Bible says. Joseph, on the other hand, was a very powerful leader in Egyptian politics. You know the story of Joseph, how he got there. We don't need to go over that. But Joseph was uh, a guy who would, could provide literally anything for his children. He's a rich guy, popular, powerful guy. I said yesterday, and I often think about this, and I, my sister scolded me for saying it because she said some people might not appreciate it, but he kind of reminded me a little bit of Donald Trump <laughs> without the hair. You know, I don't know. But he's a rich guy, a powerful guy. Incredible influence. There wasn't anything that he could not give his children. One day, somebody said to him, Joseph, your dad is really sick. He is close to death. He's literally on his deathbed. And Joseph... Interestingly enough to me, says to, goes to his two boys, and he said, guys, and this is my twisted imagery, says, you know what, I need you to get on your slave-driven rickshaws, and, and we're going to go for a ride out to visit Grandpa. Now, these boys, I'm guessing, are somewhere 12, 14 years old. I don't know. They're old enough. 
that meant going, leaving all the, you know, plush environment and, you know, activities and everything that they had. They maybe were on their way to the arcade. Who knows what they were up to? But Joseph came to him and he said, boys, we're going to visit grandpa. My thought is that they probably weren't that excited about it because grandpa had been given by Joseph actually the responsibility of looking after the livestock for the kingdom. So he is a farmer. I grew up on the farm. My dad raised cattle. My dad owned a livestock market. And, and I know that sometimes, especially in the spring, the odor that goes along with the farm is not always as pleasant as, you know, gardens and roses and those kinds of things. My dad always said it smelled like money, but I was not convinced. But he said, boys, we're going to go and visit Grandpa. And so they get on their entourage, and I'm not sure what that all looked like. But they get close to Jacob's tent, and one of the servants comes in to Jacob, who the Bible says in verses 1 and 2 that he literally was on his deathbed. And the servant came in and he said, Jacob, uh, your son Joseph... Is, is just about here. You know what the Bible said? It says that Jacob rallied his strength and got up off his deathbed. I don't know about you, but I just love that statement. There are times when I'm laying on the couch that rallying my strength to get up and even get another snack <laughs> is more than I'm willing to expend. But if my beautiful wife was to come in and to say, you know what, the kids are here, I could rally my strength. Jacob, the Bible says, he rallied his strength and he got up off the bed. And as you read through this chapter, verses one to 16 is the story that I'm focused on. As soon as Joseph walked through the door, Jacob started a conversation about the blessing of God. The significance of the story is this. Joseph could give those kids anything except for one thing. And that was for his dad to lay hands on those boys and speak into their life the blessing of God that would set the course for their life forever. Jacob could give that to him like nobody else could. That was grandpa's contribution to their future. I need to finish off here so I'm going too slow. When you read through the chapter... After all of that, there's some very interesting things that happen. Jacob, or Joseph takes his boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, puts them on his dad's knees. His dad says, who are these boys? Jacob says, they're my sons born in Egypt. Jacob says, bring them to me that I may bless them. Joseph takes the boys, sets them on his dad's knees. His dad embraces them. Then he takes them and he he puts them on the ground in front of him. And then the scripture says something really interesting. 
is that Joseph, this great powerful man, bowed to the ground and put his forehead on the ground before his dad. And the ultimate expression of respect. Young people, if you've never heard this anywhere else, you will have heard it in church this morning. You cannot extol enough honor and respect to your mom and dad and to your grandpa and grandma and to your great grandpa and great grandma. You honor them. You respect them. You, you, do you know why? Because the Bible says that if you will do that, God will give you life. You see, the, the connection with the generations that if, it's, that if it's broken, we lose something of God's investment in our lives. I would love to see my kids with their heads on the ground bowing and honoring me. <laughs> if I hold my breath, I might perish, but I know they love me and I know they respect me. I'm just saying that it was interesting that Joseph, this great powerful man, put his head on the ground and he honored his dad. Then Jacob picks up those boys and he lays hands on one and hands on the other and we know that he crosses hand. I don't need to get into all of that. But he laid his hands on them and then the, the scripture says something that is interesting. When he laid his hands on those two boys, the Bible says he blessed Joseph. He blessed their dad. It, it's a bit of an interesting thing but all of these generations are tied together and when grandpa was gonna pray for the boys, the Bible says that he blessed their dad even though he put his hands on the boys. And then he prayed an interesting prayer. He said, as my father Abraham, generation one, and my father Isaac, generation two, and as he has led me and helped me as a shepherd all the days of my life. Generation three. The Bible says he blessed Joseph, generation four. Bring them to me that I may bless them. Ephraim Manasseh, generation five. And if you read down through, you discover that Joshua was of the line of Ephraim. My point is this, that Jacob lays out a model for us here that ties all these generations together. All of us are tied together. If you're a first generation Christian, then you may not be able to draw on the, the anointing and the authority of God in your previous generation's lives. But hey, without getting too philosophical about this, then you start today. You be the first generation. You anticipate a thousand generations from now, walking with God, excited about Christ, serving the Lord, changing the world around them because you established the authority of God in their lives today. Here's a five-step blueprint to change the world, and I'll close with this. 
Step number one is that you would embrace this concept that your very life is a part of the generational ties from one to the next. You would embrace that. You would see that you are a part of this, that you are one of the links in the chain, that your spiritual DNA is integral to the life of the generations that will follow you. You need to embrace it. You need to understand that. Men especially, let me just, without getting into it, even though you're my passion, we need you like never before. What we are witnessing in our culture and our society has a lot to do with men of God being convinced and displaced in your role as the head of your family. Guys, get some courage, get some energy, be the man of God in your family. We need you. Your your families need you. The next generations need you to be the men of God, not only in your family, but in your church, in your community, in our nation. Grandpa, we need you. God has appointed you as the one that would give covering and stewardship to the next generation. Do not abdicate that responsibility. So embrace this, that's step one. The second step is that you would understand what the blessing of God might look like. And this is a whole thing in itself, but I call it the high five of blessing. Think about this. On each of your fingers, you can memorize there being an aspect or an element of the blessing. Number one is that we would pray that our kids would know God. We'd pray that they'd be full of the Holy Spirit and power. We pray that they would live under the favor of God. We pray that they would know the purpose and the call of God on their life. And we pray that they would understand that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they are the design of God. Embrace your responsibility. Step two is understand what the blessing is and pray it into the lives of your family. Step three is that you would lay hands on them. Find a place and a time where you will lay hands on them. Jacob said, bring me those boys that I may bless them. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, when the disciples tried to chase the kids away, he says, what do you think you guys are doing? Bring those kids to me, bring them here. And the parents brought them for one purpose and it's interesting what the Bible says. It says that they brought them so that he would touch them. He picked them up, he set them on his lap, he laid hands on them and he blessed them. He spoke the blessing of God into their lives. The fourth principle, the fourth step in the five-step blueprint to change the world is that, the, that, the, that your kids and your grandkids, your family would literally hear your lips speak the word of God into their lives. What do you say? The Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. God created the whole world out of nothing with the spoken word. What do your kids hear you say? And grandpa and grandma, this is the fifth one is specifically for you that we do it in faith. We believe that God 270 years from day today is going to continually still be raising up a family in my family tree. A leader in my family tree is gonna present the gospel. We do it in faith. There's a high likelihood that I will be dead and gone before my grandchildren fully 
experience what God wants to do with them. If not those, then my great-grandchildren. But I do it in faith. I believe that God's going to do something powerful. Would you stand with me, please? Forgive me if I've gone too long, Steve. I lose track sometimes. I would like to, for the sake of time, I would like for you to just take a quick look around you and identify the matriarchs and the patriarchs in the church this morning because I would like to pray the blessing of God on your lives. Join with me, Father. I recognize this morning that that the men and women of God that are in this room literally are conduits of your favor and your goodness and your power and your authority in the lives of the next generation. And I pray for courage and I pray for confidence and I pray for a sense of authority that would emerge in them, that they would recognize that they have not been set aside, but that we need them to reconnect and to be who God has appointed them to be so that those of us in the generations that follow and our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren would literally receive God, the anointing and the authority of Christ in their life. Bless this church, I pray. Bless those that have led for many years. May the favor of God be obvious and evident in them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless them.